Hi, I'm Jay Thomas, and welcome to Bald Tires, a proud member of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. You're listening to episode number 24 called Road Trips. If you haven't heard episode number 23, take a listen to that first. It'll probably make a lot more sense what we're going to talk about today, as this is the second half of my interview with Tim Roden. Today, he's joining me to talk about road trips, some of our favorites over the years, you know, as kids, as families growing up, and then as adults as well. This is also the final podcast of 2021. Big thank you to everybody who's been listening this year. It's been a great uh, a great journey for me, but next year we're getting even bigger and better. I got to thank Chad with Shield Coatings in Saskatoon for joining me as our title sponsor starting in 2022. Thanks for listening to Bald Tires, because when you make great memories, you make bald tires. The Saskatchewan Podcast Network is supported by Connexus. Next time you're stuck in traffic for a while, here's some things you can think about instead of why the car in front of you is going so slow, or the one behind you is trying to hitch a ride on your bumper. What if your bank was committed to working with you to achieve your goals? What if they cared enough to get to know you? What if they weren't successful unless you were? What if your financial well-being drove everything they did? Come see why things are different at Connexus. Stop by any branch to learn more about how Connexus cares. The Saskatchewan Podcast Network is also supported by Direct West. Is marketing getting in the way of running your business? Direct West has a local expert team right here in Saskatchewan that will work with you to build your website exactly how you imagine it. Let them help you improve your online presence and head to directwest.com to learn more. Now let's pick things up with Tim. I want to talk about road trips because this was, I was thinking about this recently is just, you know, some great road trips that I've been on. Take me through one that comes to, to, to mind for you when you were a kid, let's say. Well, when I was a kid, we were just talking about that station wagon. Yeah. That 70 Pontiac wagon. And my dad and my uncles and all of my cousins, we all went one year on a trip to BC. We went out camping to Sycamus and, and uh, Salmon Arm and Radium Hot Springs and places like that. And that's probably my first real recollection of a, of a road trip. Yeah. And I spent most of it, of course, sleeping in the back of the, that Pontiac wagon and in between those two seats. That was, <laughs> that was kind of my home. In fact, I didn't want to sleep in the camper. I'd rather have slept in the car. You towed a camper with the car? We towed a camper with the car. Yeah, we had a little, you know, a, one of those crank up tent trailers. Sure. And my Uncle Murray had a crank up tent trailer also and towed that with his uh, Plymouth Fury two-door. And my uncle Clarence also had a, he had a Ford uh, Torino. He had the only car in the whole family that had air conditioning. <laughs> he, and it was a company car. His, it was a Grand Torino. If I had to think the year would have been 1975 or 76, I would have been, you know, uh, eight or nine years old, seven, mm-hmm. eight, nine years old in, in there. So uh, yeah, but a, a great time, a great time. And I can remember the dads and uncles setting those trailers up, you know, in these campsites <laughs> and the car, you know, you'd park the trailer and then move the car so that everything would fit of course in these campsites and then crank those trailers up and there was a cooler on every picnic table and full of beer and hamburgers ready at the ready you know so yeah great times and great traveling in in that car also i mean the cars were so big you know that that station wagon had just oodles of room and my uncle's car i mean he had three kids i had three cousins and that entire family of five towed a trailer from here to bc with that 1973 uh, Plymouth Fury mm-hmm. two-door. Mm-hmm. So that's that's just how people camped and lived. That's right. Yeah, it's it's totally different now, you know. Yeah. But uh, 
I had I have a good a good road. My it was certainly wasn't our first road trip, but it's probably the one that stands out in my mind the most. And I have an aunt and uncle who live in Whitehorse in the Yukon. Wow. And so summer of grade 11, between grade 11 and grade 12, I had my learner's license. Because mm-hmm. I don't, I didn't turn 16 till uh, August, just before grade 12. Just before grade 12, just before grade 11. Yeah. Okay. So it's the summer grade 10, 11. Sorry, let me get that right. Anyways, uh, I've got my learner's license. And it's another station wagon story. It was oh, okay. our, our second Ford Taurus station wagon, Forest Green. And uh, we drove all the way to Whitehorse. Mm. And in fact, we went past there and went to um, Dawson. Dawson City. City. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Holy Which is mackerel. another eight hours beyond that. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> I, I did get to do some driving in that, you know, I mean, not the crazy stuff. Right. But, uh, I remember that it was the summer that, I don't know, this is a weird memory, but it was the summer that Shania Twain put out a new, uh, CD. Okay. And, uh, our Taurus, we bought it used. So it was about maybe two years at at the time of this trip. I want to say it was probably four years old. I think we bought it when it was about two years old and, uh, somebody who ever ordered it, I mean, it was a, a mid-level car, so it had air tilt and cruise and power windows and locks and a power driver's seat, but somebody picked the six-disc CD changer that mm. you could get in it, but it, it went in the trunk. So there was a, a cubby. When you open the hatch, there was a cubby on the right side of the trunk that normally just had a little door and was just storage, yeah. but in our car had a six-disc <laughs> changer in there. I remember those, yeah. Yeah, and so I remember, we man, we, we must have wore that Shania Twain CD out. <laughs> it's kind of an embarrassing memory, but you know, but it was it was good music at the time. And nothing wrong uh, with Shania Twain. That's right. And so uh, <laughs> we listened to that a lot. And I remember we got, you know, at at some point you get on the Alaska Highway, and that was at the moment they were still finishing it being paved. Like it hadn't been done yet. This is very early two thousand, so it wasn't even quite paved. It was gravel wow. in some stretches, and there was. There was construction work going on and there was a a guy we kept sort of meeting up with at these construction zones and he was on a motorcycle and we started talking with him and uh, it turns out he was from the UK, Britain, Mm -hmm. Britain somewhere, wanted to do this crazy thing. So I think he took off like half a year from work, like six months sabbatical. He bought um, a bike. I'm always, I always forget what they're called. They're kind of a half uh, dirt bike, half street bike sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, kind of meant for off-road, but they'll, they're still street legal. Some sort of tour, tour, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, he started from the very tip of South America. Wow. And he was driving north. Yeah. As far as roads go. Yeah. So basically to the Arctic Circle and then to the to the Arctic Ocean. Yeah. You can't get to the North Pole by by, you know, motorcycle, but uh as far as the roads go. So top to bottom of the world. Man. Or bottom to top. And so we'd meet up with him and he had everything on this motorcycle. Yeah. And I think he kind of camped along the way. The crazy thing is he had one arm. Wow. He only had one arm. So he had lost it in an accident or, or, you know, something like that. How did he shift the bike? Well, he had everything installed on 
he had a, his right arm. Yeah. So he had everything installed on the right-hand side. Wow. So I think he had uh, his clutch and his brake yeah. on the right-hand on the side. On the right-hand side. Okay, and he yeah. somehow managed, and I, he might have had, um, or he had a clutch put on the foot, which yeah. might have been what he had too. His left foot might have been, no, nah, you have to shift with your left foot. What am I saying? There was a double up of something somewhere. It was right. either, either on the handlebars or he had a clutch and a brake on his right foot because you're always shifting with your left foot, oh, right? Oh, sure. Could have had it done up anyway. Maybe a jockey shift. Or who yeah. Knows. Something. It was customized. Yeah. The craziest part is he. we would kind of meet up with him. We'd all get going and he was, you know, like most bikes do, they'd go past you. Yeah. He'd ride past us, recognize our green station wagon. And he'd wave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's nobody driving the bike for a split second. He'd put up his hand, wave, and put his ba- arm back down on the steering on the on the handles. <laughs> Makes you feel kind of important, right? Yeah. <laughs> but man, there was uh, that trip. There was so many cool things to see along the way. I guess this is kind of an advocate um, it's for that road trip because there were these hot springs out in the middle of nowhere, these wild hot springs you could go to and all these different things. But I remember getting up into the more northern part of BC because you kind of cross through Alberta and then you skirt the corner of BC and you get into the Yukon. Yeah. Sort of a diagonal across the country. And um, (laughs) getting into BC and this is, you know, early 2000s. And my dad just hit the roof when he saw gas for a dollar a liter. Oh, no. Because, <laughs> I mean, in Saskatchewan, it was 70-something at the time. Yeah. In Alberta, the you know, the other half of the trip, it was like 58 or something like that, 60 yeah. cents a liter. And by the time we got up there, it was a buck a liter up well, there. Yeah. I mean, the world is coming to an end. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. And if, I mean, man, a buck a liter now seems like a treat, right? But back then that was, that was big well, money. It does. It sure sounds like a treat now for sure. But, it, but up there, you fill up every chance you get. Right. So once you get a certain point up the Alaska highway and certainly past Whitehorse, yeah. when you're up in that kind of part of the country, you don't like wait till you're down to a quarter tank to find a gas station. Every small place that has a gas station, yeah, you get gas. Yeah, that's right. Because you never know if the next one is going to have any or not. Yeah. Because sometimes they don't. The fuel truck makes it only so far up the highway before the fuel truck's empty. Yeah. And the next gas station doesn't have any fuel. So yeah. it was, but man, and we, like it's 30 hours yeah. one way to Whitehorse. Holy mackerel. And then another eight up to Dawson City, mm-hmm. which, oh. Is the coolest place you've ever seen in your life, though. Oh, man. It is something else. Yeah. I mean, it's so cold there most of the year that the buildings from the gold rush are there. The wooden buildings that were part of the gold rush that were built as part of that are still used to this day. Well, they'd be perfectly preserved. They are. Yeah. They're frozen. They're frozen. Yeah. So they don't rot. Yeah. Even some of the ones that are abandoned are still sort of leaning over but standing you know right so that was a pretty cool road trip and i did get to do some driving but there was one moment (laughs) it's a lot of wildlife on that highway so you know once you get once you get up into the yukon uh and in alaska there are still wild herds of of bison yeah that roam around up there and of course bears and moose and all that stuff yeah but we were coming my mom was driving for a little while and I just sort of remember, you know, when you're like a kid and you're asleep in the back of the car and every so often you kind of get woken up a little bit and your one eye opens and you peek around a little bit and then you shut it and you're kind of back asleep, you know? Yep. So I remember hearing this and we were 
like onto a bridge, a old trussle bridge, kind of like the Victoria Bridge in Saskatoon. Okay, yeah. Big old steel bridge. And we were on that and okay, yeah, that's cool, whatever. Mom's driving along and singing to Shania Twain and pretty much the rest of us are asleep. Yep. <laughs> well, we're kind of rounding a corner on the on the highway and there's rock wall just to our right uh-huh. and basically a cliff off the left side. So it's it's like you got a two lane road and that's it's all you got. Right. Rock and cliff. <laughs> we all woke up screaming because she gets around the corner and screams at the top of her lungs and hammers the brakes because there's one of those white mountain goats had come down the side of the rocks on oh, the right side no. and yeah. was standing there in the middle of the road. Oh no. <laughs> so we all woke up with our seat belts. <laughs> Half choking us to death. (laughs) (laughs) How's the brakes? How's the brakes? And the ABS had cut in and everything. Like, I mean, you got to push the brake pretty hard to (laughs) do that on dry pavement, right? Yeah, for sure. The car stopped. Nothing happened, but it was just, uh, it was one of those funny moments we laugh at now, but it was terrifying when it happened. Yeah, I bet it was. I'm sure she's still terrified. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. And I ended up owning that car a little later on, you know, like, so kind of down the road, I sort of needed a car and mom and dad wanted a new one. So I, I bought it from them and well, drove that go. around for a long time. And I think everybody's had a hand-me-down car, at least one family car that's been handed down, a grandparent's car or something. Did you? What did you have that was handed down? Uh, my grandpa's uh, 1977 Ford LTD. That was, uh, I, I bought that car from my grandpa uh, when he bought his last car. He bought a, a little station wagon because by then they were getting quite elderly. And uh, he needed a little station wagon. He needed a smaller car also because they lived in a condo with underground parking and he had taken out the gyp rock on one of their pillars <laughs> one too many times and maybe had been spoken to but uh, uh, with this LTD. So anyway, I bought my grandpa's Ford LTD and, and just loved it for for a whole year, maybe two years, I think I had that car. Beautiful car. Brown, bench seat in the front. Yeah, Brown. <laughs> they were all like all of them, Yeah. <laughs> The wagon, the wagon I had for a while, and we had I don't know two hundred thirty thousand kilometers on it. But at, this is a few years ago. I want to say twenty thirteen or fourteen. Mm-hmm. Finally, though, it was starting to give me issues, and the issues were like were emissions things and check engine lights. Oh, and you think, sure. Oh yeah, check engine light, whatever you can drive without with you know with that on, that's fine. But in this case, it was causing like stumbling, and it wouldn't uh, wouldn't want to idle anymore, and and. I was just, yeah, didn't want to throw parts at, keep throwing parts at it. It was already getting to be an old car, and oh, the tech was starting to go. Yeah, yeah, that's those that electronic stuff. I mean, that old six disc CD changer still worked in the back, but some of the you know other things were just oh, right. getting yeah. to be gremlins, and I was like, mm, I think yeah. I'm think I'm ready for not a wagon, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because <laughs> I was a young guy at the time, was like, ah, let's let's drive something cooler than this. Everybody you wants know? to get a fresh car once in a while, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Although there's there's parts now, parts of me now, where I kind of go, you know, I could, like, damn, I, I got this thing to haul. I could really use that wagon right now. Oh, I know. You know, yeah. big, long items. Yeah. You could, you know, it would, you could put an armoire. We could, like, the furniture we hauled in that car. Oh, everything went into it. All sorts of stuff in those, uh, lo- you know, those old wagons, for sure. You know, and that's that's a small wagon compared to the one you grew up in. You well, know, the one I grew up in, those wagons were all designed to hold eight by four by eight sheets of plywood. 
Holy cow. That was cow. basically how they designed the car. Oh, you can just go to your home center or whatever if you're renoing your house and load everything in your station wagon. <laughs> they all had two, uh, two-way tailgates. The clamshell wagons were different, of course, but our station wagons, that Pontiac and that Ford and, and the Oldsmobile wagons that my dad had after that had the two-way tailgate. It'll, it either swung open yep. or you could drop the glass, put the window down in the very back, and you could drop it like a tailgate in a truck. Right. They were all like that. Yeah. And with the tailgate dropped, you could hang all sorts of stuff out the back. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. neat. Yeah, and were, dad often did. Were they a power window that took them down? Yes. Yeah, really? they were power, but some of them were crank windows. Um, I believe on dad's cars, because dad liked nice cars. I, they were probably all power windows in, in dad's cars. But I do remember them people pulling out that latch, and then they would crank the window down. And that you had to crank the window down before you could lift the gate because the handle to lift the, to put the gate That's down was right. all the way on the inside. That was actually kind of a smart way to do it. Well, a very smart Didn't way to do it. Didn't bust the glass out of it. No. <laughs> trying to open your door. <laughs> I saw glass knocked out of so many of those poor station wagons because they, a person would leave that glass up just a, just a half inch or a quarter of an inch. We did that on a friend's car and I don't, I can't even remember what we were putting in the back, but the glass was up just high enough. Something bounced on top of the glass, and when we went to put the glass up, it just went crunch, 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 crunch oh. inside the door, and it all collapsed, and like tempered glass had just fallen inside the, oh. the tailgate. So go and explain that one to Dad. You know, so <laughs> now you do some you do some road some modern road trips these days, right? Yeah, like with your job. Yeah, I've uh, done a few road trips uh, lately. It's it's still fun making road trips, even if they're in, in Saskatchewan. I've seen a few places that I've, I mean, I've never seen Estevan until this year. Yeah. And I've seen it uh, now twice. And uh, it's actually a, a neat experience driving through Southern Saskatchewan. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. different, right? I mean, is it really flattens out and it does. really gets wide open there. Well, it's like uh, corner gas. It's, it's just like that. Cause you're not really that far from that town of Rolo. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, looks just like that. It's what, uh, it's what all the Easterners complain about. There's just, <laughs> it's just miles and miles of miles and miles of nothing, <laughs> but there's no trees or mountains or anything to obstruct the view. No. <laughs> um, do you ever get, uh, this is going to sound funny maybe, but I get, uh, I get excited for a road trip. Like mm-hmm. I kind of get, there's a sort of a, a feeling of sense of adventure when, when you're getting ready for one, or maybe, you know, for you, it's, it's kind of, you're told and Hey, you're, you're going to such and such a place to pick up a car. Mm-hmm. Are you excited for them? Um, well, uh, I don't know if anybody's ever really excited to go to Regina, well, for example, but it's uh, kind of nice to go out, uh, you kind of go out and see uh, the sunrise, right? <laughs> nice to be out. Um, other other times, other trips, when the weather is miserable, now it's winter, the trips aren't maybe quite as nice uh, when you're spending three hours to go to, say, Lloyd Minster because the highways are icy or something <laughs> like that. So so what have, you, what have you discovered about some cars you've liked or not liked with the road trips you've done? Well, we were talking before. I went to Winnipeg and I drove home a Chevy Spark. And a lot of people would probably think, well, that must have sucked, but it, it didn't. <laughs> and I told you before, like, I know what I hate because I've driven, a, you know, a million different cars. And uh, I just didn't hate that car. I couldn't hate it. It was actually a, a neat little car and it really grew on me and a bloody seat was comfortable. It was a comfortable car. <laughs> it was no, it's no powerhouse. It's not a V8 muscle car. Nope. It's not a giant truck. It's got a small fuel tank. So, but I tell you, you, you fill it up for, you know. 20 or 30 bucks and you drive it for 400 kilometers 
nothing to complain about that. Nope, that's right. I thought that those were just city-only cars, but nope, you can totally take that on a cross-country road trip and, and be relatively comfortable. Well, you know, my wife and I have, as our second car, a Honda Fit. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought, you know, this car is so... Like, that, the Spark is they're they're definitely comparable little cars. The Fit is a little bit bigger than a Spark, just yep. by a just by a smidge. Uh, but the handling on the Fit is just second to none. And there are gleaming reviews from Car and Driver the year that my car came out as you know like a top ten pick and the best handling little car that there is. And you know, yep. at the time, so it really is fun. Like it's it's not super fast or super powerful. But it's like it's on rails. It just drives around corners like that. Right. And so we last was it last summer got this bright idea. Let's let's go to the mountains for a weekend. It was just like a September weekend thing. We just Kate, let's you know we were sick of COVID and numbers were okay at the time. So let's just go get a little a little getaway. Mm-hmm. And we drove the fit all the way to Banff and got phenomenal fuel mileage. Like I mean, like. 5.5 liters per hundred kilometers in that mm. thing on the highway and especially through the mountains. And then I just threw it up and down the mountains, all the mountain roads. Like it, we had an absolute ball in it because, and like, you know, is it as quite as comfortable as our main highway car? Mm, no, mm. but it's certainly doable. Like, it's not like this is, it's not like you're sitting on a, you know. Well, it's the same thing as with that spark. I thought it was going to be a terrible trip driving that's an eight hour trip yep but it wasn't that bad at all nope. the seat wasn't that uncomfortable you got out and stretch once in a while but you would do that on any road trip the thing i loved about that car the most was a stereo that oh. thing remember when i said a tesla was like driving an ipad well this thing was like driving a Harman Kardon stereo it was <laughs> it was just awesome it, really uh, well it synced up right away i just synced my cell phone up with it and started you know playing, playing tunes yep and stuff, and oh yeah, it's got a an awesome stereo. Really? Yeah. That's so if cool. it had any road noise, who cares? It's, <laughs> just you turn, just it turn it up louder. Turn it up because it sounded awesome. <laughs> yeah, I've been in some pretty expensive cars that had a stereo that didn't sound any better than this one. Yes. You know, some I know, kind of higher end, you know, BMW type uh, cars, and yeah, no, that's uh, the little Chevy Spark had a had a pretty good stereo. That's funny. Yeah. That, but Chevy though, for a long time, has had good stereos. Oh, I agree. Yeah. You know, they're like, good in all of the cars. Chevrolet has had had some reliability or other issues with different other things on their cars in years gone by. But even yanking an old, you know, stereo unit out of a 90s Chevy, mm-hmm. an 80s Chevy, late 80s Chevy and into the 90s and into the 2000s, man, you could just hook that thing up and it they sounded good right out of the box. Oh, they for really sure. did. Whatever they whatever they used for amplifiers and the technology they used, it it sounded good. Yeah, some of the uh, the older my '87 Cadillac Fleetwood had a uh, Delco Bose. It was called a cassette player. Yeah, and uh, yeah, there were speakers in the door, speakers in the dash, speakers in the back. There's no subwoofer, of course. It was predated subwoofers, but uh, wow, that thing had a pretty incredible sound. Yep, it said concert sound or something was stamped in the speakers in the door. Uh, in through that Tiffany carpet, you could see it. And, uh, but no, even, you know, you pop in your, uh, April wine, greatest hits cassette and it's, it sounded just like the day it was brand new. It sounded awesome. It, they did. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Ford on the other hand was awful for a long time. 
Mm. My, my, that 06 Ford Focus I told you about, that had a Sony stereo. So it was pretty good, but it was definitely an, a big upgrade that you paid for, had a sub in the trunk and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, like 80s and 90s stuff, those two Tauruses that we had when I was a kid, especially the first one was an 89 Taurus. Oh, that radio was just terrible. Oh, no. Like zero. It, it was clear, yeah. sure. But there was just no bass whatsoever to it. And you turn it up too loud, it starts to crackle, you know, like it just, they were just not good. Yeah. Ford's changed since then, but. Well, the 90s about when music started to get bassy also. Yes, that's right. Yeah. That's yeah, right. Totally. Sure. But man, I mean, like if you compare a GM stereo and a Ford stereo out of those same, you know, take 1988 or take 1992 or something. Oh, sure. Oh, GM wins by a landslide. Like, yeah, no they, doubt. They did. Even my old marquee, I, I can't get my, every time I try to play an eight track in my quadrasonic stereo, it eats <laughs> the bloody tape. <laughs> I don't know how many more Paul Williams eight tracks I have left. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. <laughs> you know, I wonder too, it makes me think of the, like, so when, as I was growing up, you know, the big thing, and it, probably when you were growing up too, is the same thing. It's just different technology, you know, is to put a custom stereo in your car, right? Yes. I mean. That's because the stock ones were so horrible. They were terrible, right? And same thing, you know, when I was a kid, it was it was about, you know, putting a subwoofer in the trunk and, you know. Oh, was, sure. Yeah. It call, kind of fall, maybe you could call it following the sort of um, Fast and the Furious trend, you know. Because yep. yep. that was certainly kind of part of how I grew up was, that was, that was a big part of cars, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Same where, with where us. I am. Yeah. Amps and six by nines. Right. Amps yeah. and six by nines for you and me, it's it's head units and, Subs and subwoofers, and, yep. you know, that was the big thing. But. You know, I I think that industry is probably just about down the toilet because of this reason. Everything is so integrated now, right? Yes. Like think of even that little spark, right? Had a touch screen in it, right? Yep. So you can't just go rip that out and put a deck in there because three quarters of the, the, the functions of the car oh, happen they, on that screen. They all happen on the touch screen. So I, even if you go back cars 10, 15 years, you can't alter the stereo because every even the chimes for the ignition work off of the central stereo that's right yeah it's so, all one piece it's not just a radio sitting there exactly you know, it's there it's, is no plug and play when it comes to the stereo it is like you say totally integrated the only thing i suppose that you left you can do is you can pop the door panels off and you know replace the speakers and then i suppose you could you know you could uh, take the 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 output of that stereo you've got now, put a new amplifier in there, and then power your new speakers and sort of change it that way. Well, really, I mean, I mean, us old old school kind of hot rodders might do that, and I'd take my old uh, Craig cassette deck that I still have in a box in my basement, <laughs> and uh, you know, screw it up underneath the dash of a say a new Tesla and wire in some speakers and just run the wire on the outside. And I could still listen to April wine cassettes <laughs> in my, in my Tesla, but why bother? Because yeah. everything you can press a button and tell it to play April wine, wine and it'll just play it. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I'd say, Hey Google, do something right now, but one of our phones would probably start doing that. Yeah, so. yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and <laughs> you know, it just it that's it stuff isn't going away like that, right? I mean, it's so integrated now; it's never going to go back the way it was with changing stereos out and 
No, and you know what? That's probably a good thing. I can remember changing stereos out. My cousin Dean and I almost burnt down a '86 Cutlass Supreme in my dad's driveway. <laughs> you know, uh, putting an amp in under the seat or something. I vaguely remember, and uh, you know, it it was a that's a lot of work changing a stereo. You, yeah. you got to have pretty dexterous fingers. I'm sure I'm going to have arthritis the rest of my life from try, trying to change out car stereos all the time in the '80s and '90s. You know, I learned something, and I'm a maybe this makes me a total noob, you know. But I was trying to figure out in my car, my old Buick, mm. because there's an option for an eight-track player. Now I don't have it, and there's also option for FM. Mm-hmm. Mine just has an AM radio, but I do have the optional rear trunk, like rear speaker. Okay. Because it had it has one mounted in the dashboard up in the center, mm-hmm. right? And then apparently the, the in the trunk, getting one in the back was an option. Yep. Okay. So it's got that. Just not a left and right. Just a single in the front, single in the back. So I'm wondering, like, I, I was under there once, uh, you know, kind of putting a tachometer into my car and doing some wiring. And I got to see the wires that lead to the back of the radio. And I'm looking and I'm like, there's three. Just three mm-hmm. you know like i've seen lots of new radios and there's like a connector with 12 wires in it you know yeah literally there's three and there's a power ground is provided by just screwing it into the car mm-hmm. and there's a wire a wire to the front speaker a wire to the back speaker and then of course ground happens over there mm-hmm. and then the plug for the antenna then the plug for the antenna right but i'm trying to figure out how the heck you connected um like a, an eight track player to play through the radio and then it was finally explained to me. They're separate. They are separate. Yeah. They, right? The accessory would have been mounted under the dash somewhere. But it also had its own amplifier. Mm-hmm. And then you ran wires to other speakers. Mm-hmm. Right? I would assume so. I can't, I, I don't know. I, I guess that's it. I, I, I've finally read about it. Is like you, so you had your speakers for the radio and mm-hmm. maybe your one speaker for the radio and the dash. And then you ran two wires to the back and you put two six by nines in the trunk, you know, hanging from the back deck. Yep. So theoretically you could have them both on, right? You could basically turn the radio on. It would come through the front speaker. You could play the eight track player. It'd come through the back speakers. They were separate systems. They weren't, they weren't integrated into the same thing. Like say the cassette deck in your oh, grand wow. marquee yeah. where it's into, it's part of the radio. Cause when you play a tape, yep. the radio doesn't play. Yeah. That's not how it worked in the Buick. It was just simply an eight track player with its own amplifier right. and own volume control built into it. That's strange. That's the yeah. first time I've ever heard of that. Yeah. Well, that I didn't know that either until you just talked about it now. And you're absolutely right. My marquee, it eats a tape and the radio isn't playing while it's eating the tape. <laughs> right. So, yeah. yeah. But that's because it's integrated in, in all one, right? Right. The, yeah. the, the, the tape player is part of the radio head unit. Right. The whole thing. It is the Whereas whole thing. Whereas Buick Land in 1969, that wasn't a possibility. You mounted the the eight track player hanging below right. the bottom of the dashboard, and it was just simply uh, another piece that got wired in with a connecting wire from the the key. You know, right. ignition source power and grounded itself to the dashboard and yep. Couple new, couple new speakers, and you had an eight-track player. Well, how many people did that with CB radios in the seventies? Well, same thing. When CBs were so popular, uh, my Delta eighty-eight has a CB radio in it. Mount, you know, Radio Shack mounted up underneath the <laughs> dash with an antenna. You got to mount on the on the trunk of a magnetic one. 
So, uh, but some car manufacturers made the CB right from the factory. They did, yeah. yeah. The luxury cars were were pretty pretty popular with those. Have you ever seen one? Yes, in I have. person, really. In person, oh yeah, I've seen a number of them. I have. There's a, a fellow used to be a customer there at work, and he had a mid, about a '77 or '78 Cadillac Eldorado with a factory CB, and you could tell on the antenna mast, the power antenna had a little kind of a a thing looked like a chapstick. Huh. Uh, right in the middle of the antenna and that was the cb antenna integrated into the car's power antenna really and then it had uh, a f- funny looking head unit with the, you know dials on it and then it had another dial on the actual handset and it had the factory cradle to put the handset and everything was really? right there to look factory yeah that's phenomenal yeah and uh, cadillacs lincoln's had them as an option also in the late 70s you know here's another thing that i it, just to switch gears one more time, Tim, and I didn't tell you about this before we got sat down, but another thing I thought we could also talk about today, and I know you know tons of stuff about this, more than I ever will, is I really love obscure, odd, uh, strange, and special automotive options. Oh, yeah, okay. Like, I'll start with one, and then see, see if you can come up with one. 1969 Chevrolet in the Impala offered... Liquid tire chains. Yes. Yeah. And it was a canister mounted inside the rear fenders mm-hmm. with a little electronic solenoid attached to it. And you bi- you bought these cans. They were like a spray can. Yeah. Just with no nozzle on them. You're full of glycol or something. Yeah. It was yeah. kind of a, an alcohol blend with some other stuff. Yep. And the idea was you were slipping and sliding. The rear tires of your Impala weren't grabbing the ice very well. And, you know, snow tires, there was winter lug tires, but there was not really, you know, soft compound snow tires like what we have now. Right. The idea was hit the button on the dashboard for the liquid tire chains and it would spray on each wheel this sort of concoction and it would melt the ice as it was driving plus rid the tires of any ice and snow. Yeah. And sort of keep things get traction back a little bit more. And it was like a one or possibly two year option. Maybe two years because it didn't work. 6970, yeah. Yeah, Uh, it was available on Camaros also. Was it? It was, yeah. And uh, theoretically it melted the ice. You can imagine when it's minus 30, (laughs) I don't think there's any concoction. This thing's mounted in the trunk. Um, Would it work? It might get you out of a jam. Who knows? I don't know how much of that stuff would have been in those canisters, but what a cool option i would love to see a car that from the factory with that i did find somebody post not uh it wasn't a recent post but there was a post on social media of somebody who had a box of new old stock liquid tire chain cans no way from a gm dealership yeah unused ready to go for that system which that that would be worth like as rare as hen's teeth now right i mean like to find those for sure, especially when it was only offered as an option for maybe it was only one year. And who and who bought it anyways? Yeah, you know, probably most people are like, ah, that's stupid. You know, they they just skipped it. So I imagine like maybe two percent of the cars they sold had that option. You know, probably yeah. something super low. They were likely ordered by dealers just to have on site on you know in stock, and then they could show customers right there, right? This car is ready to go with yep. all of this stuff and. Yeah. So, so give me one of your favorites. You must, there's, I know you know a million of these. Oh, well, my favorite might be, you know, you were saying 1969 Dodge, the Super I. The Super I was the very first, I 
think you would call it a halogen or a super light. And it had one kind of cycloptical light. It had the standard four headlights in the front, but it had one light offset, and that was the super light. And when you turned that on, that sucker was super, super bright. Oh, fact, really? The I think what what did that light in was it was outlawed in most of the state because it was too bright. Really? Yeah, the, the Dodge Super Eye, it was called. And uh, yeah, it was, it was either a, a halogen or um, like an LCD bulb or, or whatever. But, you know, just space age technology available only from Dodge, right? <laughs> so so yeah, it's uh, that's actually kind of a neat a neat thing to see if you've ever seen one. No. I only saw one car equipped with that. Uh, it was at an auction out in Okotoks a number of years ago. The Dodge. I'm going to have to look eye. that up. Yeah. yeah. The auctioneer had mentioned the Super Eye, and I had to look it up. So I did. I looked it up, and I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. There's, uh, You can see uh, online there's advertising literature and stuff uh, you know, for, for those Super Eyes. You know, there's lots of features, you know, in talking about odd and unique options. But, man, there's lots of features in cars you know, I'm thinking of that just don't exist anymore. Mm. You know, when's the last time we saw a new car with opera lights, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That that's gone away. You know, there's lots of stuff like that. That's a lot just of the styling things uh, disappeared. Change. Yeah. They right. Change just like fashion changes, you know, it's uh suits and ties were the norm in the eighties for business executives. When was the last time you saw, uh, you know, people wearing suits and ties, especially huh. a high powered executive. <laughs> I don't think Elon Musk has ever worn a tie. <laughs> You know, uh, uh, same with Jeff Bezos. Have yeah. you ever seen these guys wearing suits? No, exactly. Um, but yeah, same thing like Landau tops. Oh yeah, Padded that's a good one. Tops. That's a good one, yeah. Um, yeah, opera lights is a good one. Uh, stand-up hood ornaments. Oh, that's... The last time you saw a stand-up hood ornament. Well, Mercedes, they still got one. That's right, too. But they've gotten special permission, I believe, to continue with that because the whole reason they, got, they were kind of gotten rid of was pedestrian safety Mm. and i think somehow they managed to get away with keeping the mercedes standing well they're all collapsible and a mercedes is round it's uh, i think that was the idea it's not going to skewer you my cars are kind of jagged but they're all collapsible also and who cares about pedestrians (laughs) (laughs) do you remember when uh cars like uh companies like mercedes and bmw offered car phones built in in the yes, 90s? I do. I remember that uh, new. Um, I started my job in 1999, and BMW offered cars with phones. All pre, you know, they were, everything was all pre-installed yep. at the factory. And it was a flip phone, and it was, yeah, that was hyper technology. It's kind of funny, because that option is completely illegal now, right? Yes, yeah. Like, even in the United States of America... Most states, you can't drive with a cell phone. There's at least tickets for it. Here, it's majorly illegal, right? Distracted driving. Yeah. And yet, it was an option to equip your car with a, with a phone you'd have to hold to your ear with your with a hand. Right. Right from the factory. Yeah. You know? Well, people could still hold a phone to their ear and drive. There was no texting. That's of course, right. in 1999, people didn't... It, there was texting, but it was too much of a nuisance to text. Everybody remembers Blackberries and... You know, oh, the first T nine texting was yeah, awful. Yeah, that's no, right. Yeah, you you certainly wouldn't do that when you were trying to drive. I think even modern millennials wouldn't attempt to do that while they're trying to drive. It's like having a typewriter on your lap and driving at the same time. It just doesn't work. So, but the the phones, yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because now, of course, holding a cell phone up to your ear is illegal. They want you 
paying attention to the road. That's right. So, yeah. So that's why you want to memorize where those buttons are in your steering wheel so you don't have to pay too much attention to the screens and stuff in the car. Here's one for you. I think it was 1956 or 57 Cadillac had the optional bar included in oh, the yes. glove box. Yep. And you got four tumblers. They're all magnetized. And they were magnetized so they would stick to your glove box door, which acted as a serving tray, basically. Mm-hmm. So basically it is uh, go ahead and drink and drive. Well, of course. <laughs> well, you can make highballs. It's not like drinking beer and driving. It's you making actual liquor highballs. I know. You know? So <laughs> speaking of illegal, and then they thought cell phones were bad. <laughs> Here's here's your bar on the road, right oh, in the Cadillac, sure. right? So I always like seeing the uh, hi, the old highway hi-fis are kind of oh, neat to yeah. watch. It's a weighted record player that would play records in your car. And the records were very, very, everything in, in that uh, system was very heavy. In fact, the records played upside down on the needle and the weight kept it from skipping as you were driving. The needle, the needle pointed upwards from the, the bottom. The needle points upwards from the bottom. And the heavy record. Now, could you yeah. play just anything? Could you play just any 45 or they had to be highway hi-fi records? Seems to me you had to get highway hi-fi records for those. You know, someone in the previous generation of mine would know a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, they would. And uh, it's, uh, but I always thought it was kind of neat to have a record player in your car. And just imagine now when you can't, uh, you know, Wi-Fi goes down in the car or whatever, and you can't listen to tunes for half an hour. But in the 50s, it was a super luxury to be able to listen to one song only, you know, before you had to change the record out. That's right. It was a 45. You could only play one song. Well, but even, you know, up until then, think about this. In the, in the you know, the history of the car, mm-hmm. you had a radio. Radios came out in the th- as early as the 30s in yep. cars. But... Um, you never could control exactly what you were listening to. You might be able to choose the station you were listening to. Mm-hmm. That's true. But what was on the radio was on the radio. Can you imagine being the sort of the first guy or gal in, in the mid-50s to get a highway hi-fi and I get to like be my own DJ? Yeah. You know, I'm, I, get to be, I get to choose what music is playing in this car. That would have been revolutionary. We think of that as so mundane, you know, now, like you said. Just, oh, if I can't pick the tunes, I'm, you know. Of course. Losing yeah. my mind. They were like, you know, people at that time were just beside themselves because they could choose their own music. Oh, sure. Because yeah. it wasn't until you got home to your record player sitting on your con- on your stereo that you could actually pick the record you wanted to listen to. Yep, absolutely. There was no portable music whatsoever except for a radio. No, that's right. So to be your own... You know, have your own choice was probably spectacular to that generation of people. It was spectacular. Well, it was even spectacular to my generation because, you know, having a cassette player, my first car didn't have a cassette player, just had an AM radio. Yep. And, uh, you know, if you wanted a cassette player, those cost money. It was expensive. Uh So, you know, the buddies that had the cars with the cassette players, those were the cars everybody went cruising in because you could you know you didn't have to listen to the radio because radio in the 80s whatever despite what anybody says was horrible they played share and wham all the time over and over wang, again wang chung oh yeah the culture club and madonna it was it was just never ending so people who who wanted to listen to like real rock like acdc and, and judas priest you had to buy you know, you bought the records, then you made mixtapes. Yeah. Right? Yes. So you mixed your own cassettes. Oh, I did that too when I was a yeah. kid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then there was always the one buddy who would mix and had his favorite song and 
the whole cassette was the same song over and over and over again, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so <laughs> Of one song. Yeah. Of one song. Yeah, I had one, one friend who did that. and uh, But no, yeah, the cassette player in the car, you betcha. You were the DJ and that was the... You were the life of the party if you had the cassette player in the car. When I met my wife, we were in high school, and she had a 1989 Pontiac Sunbird. Mm. Four-door flavor. Yeah. And um, <laughs> it was... Little J-body? Yeah, it was kind of a turd. You know, mm-hmm. it was sort of an old worn-out by the time she got it. But it had the neatest cassette player I've ever seen. So good old, good-sounding GM radio in the dashboard. But at that, for whatever reason they took the cassette player out of the head unit and they stuck it further down as its own piece in the center console. Oh, yeah. Because it kind of had a stacking center console ahead of the shifter. Yep. So it was kind of more closer to the bottom. Yep. It was a cassette player by itself. But it was fascinating because, and I don't know, I have to look up what exactly they called it. It had a skip function. So you could put a tape into that thing mm-hmm. and you could be playing a song and like a CD player, you could go, mm, I don't want to listen to this one. I want the next one. And you could push the skip button. It would fast forward the tape to the next blank space in the tape. Yeah, between songs. Between I re- songs. I remember those. Stop yeah. and play from there. Yeah. Like I'd, I'd never seen that before. I, you know, every other thing we ever had that played tapes when I was a kid, like you were like fast forward play. Fast forward play, you know? And yeah. You'd like, you'd like, just keep skipping it ahead a little bit until you found, skipping through the song you were in until you found the next blank space uh, oh, to play sure. the song. Yeah. And it would do it on its own. <laughs> then, yeah. then after about three months, uh, it would just eat tapes. It was done. Yeah. You'd but space a, age technology. That's really cool. Yeah. I didn't know it could do that, you know? Like yeah, it would just stop as soon as it sensed, uh, must have been a little sensor or something Must in there have that... sensed, you know, no sound. Yeah. Something like that. It must have had the, the head on against the tape still reading the tape just sure. really, really fast yeah. until it caught nothing and then it played. Yeah, then I don't it know. played. Pretty neat. Well, I remember those. I also remember the separate cassette uh, player too. I had a uh, couple of Chev and GM pickup trucks yeah. of that era in the 90s. And the, you've, the radio was in the dash, but the cassette player was off in the center of the dash. You had to kind of reach... Almost inconvenient. You had to reach way over to put a cassette into it. <laughs> you know, right in the center of the dash. Isn't it our our friend uh, and cohort uh, Doug Scarrow with that beautiful 1962 or three Cadillac Eldorado? Two, two. Yeah, that's maybe not an Eldorado, but it's Cadillac. It's Deville. Anyways, it's yeah. Deville. Um, it's got some pretty neat stuff with its stereo. It has reverb. Yep. As an option from the factory. Yep. It's a little dial that hangs from underneath the dashboard and it creates like an electronic delay between the front speaker and the rear speaker, just a micro delay yeah. and makes kind of an echoey reverb. So when you got the top up on the lit on the Cadillac, yeah. it sort of creates this sort of echo sound. Yeah. Right? You get the Phil Spectre kind of sound. Exactly. Yeah. But it's got an, an auto sensing, an auto tuning Oh yeah. Right? Yeah. So he's got on his left side of his of his floor, he's got the good old push button for the high beams. There's also a button up in there that it's an auto seeking radio. Yeah. So yeah. you just push it and it starts to scan, mechanically starts to scan for the next station it finds. Right. And when it finds the station it stops. Yeah. And then you push it again, it keeps scanning upward and when it gets to the top, I think it re- returns and goes comes down to the bottom. Can you imagine like that? It's 1962 and you've got a, 
you know, a, basically a foot control button to change the station on your radio. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You do. You know, you don't have to why lean way over and turn that dial, you know. Just click That's, your foot. Just click your foot. Clickety-click. Some of those cars had very advanced options in the, even in the early 60s. The uh, headlight dimmer yes. was another one. You know, you could have your high beams on all the time and it, they would automatically dim. Yep. So I had a Lincoln like that with a dimmer. And the only problem with those is when they started using those reflective street signs and the reflective road markers and road signs. Every time I came up to one of those, the sensor picked up the reflection from the sign and would dim, dim the lights. And as soon as the lights were dim, there, there was no longer reflection on the sign. So the high beams would come back on and you ended up with click, 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 click. <laughs> and if God help you, if there's a car coming towards you, they'd, you know, they'd want your head on a pike, you know? So I eventually got to the point where I just never used it, but I blame the road signs for that. Well, and you know what? They didn't have reflective road signs at the time. No, I don't think they did. Like they might've been slightly reflective. Maybe. Well, yeah, but, but not, a lot of them, like modern, no, science, yeah. and a lot of them in the, in the seventies and stuff and into the eighties, yep. they were just paint. They were just painted. Yeah. Painted signs. And, and that was it. Yeah. That, maybe so that makes a little sense. bit of reflective material, but yeah, the signs today, like, like I say, it would, when your high beams are on, you know, that sign is there. <laughs> That's <You know>. hilarious. <laughs> I learned by looking through the manual for my Buick. And I think this is pretty fascinating that they could accomplish this, that an option for my car was the fully automatic climate system. Mm. Mm -hmm. And there is a section in that book that's really thick and it belongs to that system because basically you slide the temperature to, or you, how did it work? You, you can still choose where you want the air to come out. Yeah. So it still does that. There is no fan switch. It's deleted. Yeah. And there's just a big slider and you pick the the temperature you want. Yeah. So you want it to be 68 degrees Fahrenheit or 72 or 71. And it automatically, I mean, we all know this in modern cars. A lot of us have this in our, our modern oh, sure. daily drivers, yeah. automatic climate control, right? Yeah. But think about being able to accomplish that task of measuring the temperature of the air and then calculating, you know, I mean... It's not calculating, it's it's mechanical, yep. but still being able to react to that to then adjust the temperature internally and adjust the fan speed to accomplish that. Well, talk about engineering. Uh, I mean, engineers had to accomplish that mechanically. And if you've ever seen one of those controllers pulled out of a car oh. like that, that had climate control, they're very, very complex. It's a very complicated board with springs and things like that that react to heat yep. so those little coil springs like your thermostat at home that's basically how they work they will actuate the heat door and open and close it based on the ambient temperature inside the car yeah very advanced technology of course for the time but nowadays of course you're using microprocessors and we know all know these days how reliable that is <laughs> yeah <laughs> There's, I've also read about 1969 again, we're stuck on that year. Cadillac had come out with heated seats. Oh, is that heated right? Heated seats yeah. in Cadillac. And I think it was only a few years later, 19, there's a gentleman in Saskatoon, or I think he might live in Warman, and he's got a 74 or 5, maybe it's a 6, one of those three, full-size Cadillac with GM's first airbags. Yes, I do remember those. I can remember seeing those when I was a kid. And they're bizarre. 
They are bizarre. It's a very strange-looking steering wheel. The cars all had tilt, but the luxury cars that would normally come with telescopic steering didn't have telescopic nope. steering. And the steering wheels were quite ugly, uh, as I recall, to yep. look at because they looked like uh, if you were to take a steering wheel from a 1995 Taurus yep. and put it into an, any 70s-era GM car with all of the wood appliques and chrome trim everywhere, they just didn't they just didn't match. Match, yeah. yeah. And then on the passenger side, there's no glove box. It's gone. Yeah, no. Because yeah. The, 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 everything that, that takes up, all the, all the computer tech, sort of computer technology, I use quote marks around that, yeah. was housed over there. And then the big passenger airbag was set into the dashboard. They couldn't really figure out where to put the glove box. They were out of space. Right. So, and especially yeah. with, with the way how big duct work was back then, you know, like now they can run ducts for air and heating and just tiny little spaces because of, you know, the way they're able to design it. But back then it was, you know, big tubes that the, the heating system ran through. Yeah. So the dashboard was full. No glove box. No, exactly. And I mean, GM actually marketed uh, those cars uh, quite extensively, but people just didn't want them. Um, you know, for one reason or another, they just didn't sell. They let the consumers determine that uh that option, that uh, desirability or whatever you want to call it, that <laughs> yeah. option, and yeah. people didn't buy it, so they didn't, they just kind of shelved it until government started mandating it, you mm-hmm. know, after mm-hmm. a while. But uh, yeah, the technology, airbag and safety technology has been around since the 60s and 70s for sure. I don't know if that I'd, uh, I'd trust it anymore, and what I mean is if I was the owner of that car, I'd probably have those disconnected. <laughs> I wouldn't trust a 40-year-old airbag, no. I, you know, yeah, like, is I that... I don't even trust Takata airbags in modern cars sometimes. <laughs> you hear the odd story of someone going off by accident. Someone hits a bird on the highway and the airbag goes off and Buddy Cigarette is deeply up their nose now and, you know, <laughs> so... <laughs> Anything else come to mind of some cool some cool options that you can think of? Uh, you know, cool options. The Super I was uh, my favorite, and the um, like you were saying, the guy called the uh, Ice Blaster canisters there from '69. Um, you know, Lando lights. Lot, so many options that were so common in the you know late '60s, early '70s that have you know basically disappeared. Were all about you know uh, fashion and uh, comfort. Um, the other option I might bring up is the 67 Chrysler Imperial. You could get a two door and it came with uh, an option called the executive option where the front passenger seat swiveled 180 full degrees and a table folded up from the, from the side panel. Okay. The boss would sit in the back seat and the secretary would sit in the front seat and the driver drove the car and the secretary could then sit there and dictate or type or do whatever. Uh, I'll <laughs> really? send you a link to that. Yeah, that's oh a my gosh. It's very bizarre one year uh, only uh, option. I'm not sure if it was ever really truly offered as an option, but it was definitely marketed. Oh my and gosh. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've seen advertising on that. I'll, I'll see if I can send you a link. That's pretty cool. Yeah, the Imperial with the executive table and the swivel seat that turned all the way backwards. The yeah. first, I think I talked to you recently about this, but the first tourist wagon my family had, the 89, was a high-end, high-spec model, and it had an electric windshield in it. Oh, yes, yeah. And this was pretty cool because, you know, there's new new versions of this that think that, like, Volvo, Jaguar, Land Rover use. And if you look at the windshield up close, you can actually see little tiny wires Mm -hmm. sandwiched in between the layers of glass. 
So when you're driving in the car, it, it's actually kind of a, a bit of a blurry view because they're yeah. all in there. This car, however, if you've ever seen a car with kind of a goldish purple hue, yeah, a reflection in this, in, especially in the sunlight, you'd be looking at the car and all the windows would look like glass, but the windshield would look this purple, like golded, gold, tinted, golded or, yeah. tinted sort of thing. It had this weird reflection. Apparently, there was conductive material used in that layer of stuff they put in between the glass to laminate them Mm -hmm. right that that goo that holds the layers together and basically what would happen is in park you'd have the it didn't only worked in park it didn't work while you're driving the car but in park you start off the old taurus fire it up there was one button on the on the dash and there was rear defrost there was windshield de-ice yeah push it and the old digital tachometer in the Taurus would rev up to about 2200 RPM. Like bring it would bring the revs up and you'd hear the they had this huge alternator on it. Oh, of course. Like definitely oversized for a V6 in a Taurus. It looked like it belonged on a on a V8. Yeah. Like on a truck on or a something. truck. Yeah, it running a, a bunch huge, of accessories. A huge alternator and it generated and and current and it passed current from one side of the windshield through to the other. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And just heat it up. It just got warm. Right. So just create electrical current. It got warm like one big element in your toaster. And all the snow on the ice in the windshield would just trickle off. Yeah. And it would be instant. It was, yeah. It was yeah. only maybe 25 or 30 seconds. Yeah. For that to be warm to the touch. Like if you put your hand on it, mm-hmm. it was warm. Right. Like a physically warm. Not quite hot. Yeah. But certainly warm. Yeah. And it was so cool. It worked. Like the Dickens, it was so neat. Yeah, it broke one year. We got a rock. It cracked. Stopped working as soon as it cracked. Yeah, and I think my mom and dad went. Uh, dad went to you know Ford to see if we can get a new windshield. Two thousand dollars for that windshield, and yep. that's like, and it was probably I don't know a hundred and twenty-five dollars for the regular windshield at that time. Yeah. So oh, yeah. She got a regular windshield she after that. She got a regular windshield for sure. Well, yeah. we all can, you know, relate. You know, we, you don't want to heat up glass too fast when it's bitterly cold. And those windshields did work. They worked amazingly well. And we've all had a stone chip that only really <laughs> appears into a massive crack the first cold day because <laughs> you hit the defrost and away that crack goes, you know. So, yeah. I, and you know what? I, I lived that exact same story with a Lincoln Town car that really? I had years ago. I had an 86 and that uh, was available as an option. But when I bought the car, the it was already switched out. Oh, really? So it was already, it would, had already been taken out. You know, when I bought the car, it already had 130,000 kilometers on it or, or something like that. So, yeah. that and the, So the windshield was obviously cracked and they likely did the same thing. $2,000, you know, <laughs> and just put a standard windshield in it. Because right. they were so expensive. Yeah. It's almost as if that gold tint was actually gold. Well, itself. I don't know. I had to look it up. Maybe it actually was. Maybe it was yeah. gold metal. Gold, you know, a tremendous conductor of uh, electricity. And it might have been. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, very well. When you were sitting inside the car looking out, the yeah. view was no different. It's not like it had a gold reflection inside the car. Right. It was just simply from the outside of the car. Yeah. But you know what's fascinating? Once in a while, one will catch my eye here and there. You'll see an old Windstar... Or an old Lincoln, yep. you know, uh, maybe an old Grand Marquis, because they were offered on all the sort of the higher end stuff. Right. And, hey, that's got a gold windshield on it, yep. you know? Yeah. Who knows if it still works, but. <laughs> yeah, who knows? But it's it's cool that it's still there. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, Tim, thanks for joining me for this podcast again. It's been a blast. So much it fun all is. the time. You bet. Yep, for okay. sure. Well, and I mean, hey, no, you know, maybe we'll have you again in the future. We'll talk some more cars because we always, we never run out of stuff to talk about. So. We never do, <laughs> ever. So, no, for sure. Be it the future, the past cars, it's it's always interesting. It's endless, exactly. And thank you for listening to Bald Tires. Uh, we try to bring this to you as often as we can. Great car memories, that's what it's all about. Because when you make great memories... You make bald tires.